Good morning. We want to welcome you. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are glad to have you with us. Uh, thank you for joining us. We are in uh, continuing our series about uh, uh, the Jesus-shaped life. If uh, you've been reading along with us, I hope that you've been uh, keeping up with us. But even if you haven't, uh, don't let that stop you. You can you can catch up whenever you want to, uh, and. Uh, so uh, we are more than halfway through now. We have our studies on Wednesday. We're preaching about it here, moving towards Easter, all with that hope uh, that uh, we get some emphasis in our, in our walk with Christ uh, to remind us how we are to uh, aim at His holiness. Uh, we are, we, if, if Jesus is our example, and He is, uh, then we are supposed to do away with our old self. That old thing that we were no longer exists if you've given your life to Christ. The old life is gone. The new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. You are born again. We use this kind of language to symbolize the idea that there's a line drawn on who you were and who you can be. You are no longer reigned by sin. You now have the power of the Spirit in your life. You no longer have to give in to your base desires. You now can follow the the leading of the uh, Spirit of God in your life. And that journey is called holiness or um, sanctification or perfection. The Bible uses those words sort of interchangeably. And it's, it's, it's a little intimidating, right, to, to think of being perfect. A lot of us grew, grew up saying you'll never be perfect, and, and perfectionism is a bad thing. Well, uh, the, the kind of perfectionism that human beings want is a bad thing. We don't need that. But the perfection of Christ is what we are called to. And if any time during this study or any time in your Christian walk, you get to the point where you are feeling guilty because you are not who He wants you to be, that's not from God. God doesn't condemn. He doesn't work in shame. He works in freedom and, and grace and mercy. And I just want to remind you, well, I'll, you'll hear me say this over and over, you becoming more holy is not an act of your will. It's an act of grace on behalf uh, for us through Jesus Christ. It's the work that God is doing in you. It's the, it's the gift that He's giving you. He knows you can't do it on your own. If it was just up to us to be able to sort of will our way into that perfection of life, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Uh, he knew we needed that. And so our job is, is not about trying harder. It's about aligning ourselves more perfectly with a holy, perfect God. God, whatever God touches is holy. Whatever He makes is holy. Wherever He is is holy. And so if we want that Jesus-shaped life, if we want holiness, then we need to align ourselves with a perfect, loving God. That's our job. That's our piece of the pie, if you will. And in that alignment, then he, he, through His Holy Spirit and through the presence of Christ, is able to change us from the inside out. So that's where we've been going. We've been talking about this journey in many aspects and using Jesus as the example of who we should aim at. He's the line that we're, we're shooting towards. We, you may be a long ways away. You may be here but that's better than here, right? And tomorrow you may be here, and that's better than here. So the, the idea is every day we are 
trying to draw closer through our closeness with him. Today, we're going to talk about the courageousness of Jesus, the courage of Jesus. And as, as we talk about courage, you know, there's a lot of, our culture uh, was ba- it has a lot of uh, identity with, with courage, right? Our country was based on the courageous acts of, of some folks that went against the flow to start something new, to stand up for freedom. And so it's sort of in our American DNA to, to like the idea of courage. But, um, I, and when we think of it, I think of several things. Like first thing comes to mind is, uh, like first responders, Monica mentioned the firefighters in our in our uh, place uh, in Kerr County, and actually all over uh, Central Texas um, yesterday and over the weekend battling fires. Right, going into danger, working for our safety, for our good. We all have images of 9/11. Uh, as the towers were coming down and the people were coming down those stairs to get out and get to safety. And they're coming down and the first responders are on their way up, right? That, that, that they were going against the flow. They were, they were walking toward their ultimate death while everyone else was trying to escape. We, we, we recognize that and we find it heroic and we find it admirable. The military. Many of you here have served in the military, and we are thankful for your service. Uh, many of you uh, have loved ones that served in the military. Some of you have seen conflict and seen friends die and seen things that none of us can imagine. You were willing, because of a belief in freedom, because of an ideal of service, because of uh, that we know that things that matter cost something, you were willing to go to a place you didn't know for a give up a slice of your life for service for others. Family members in that were willing to to allow their family member to go away. That goes for first responders too. Every night having to pray, I hope they come home safely. That's courage. We admire courage in in this nation, and you know those examples sort of have to do with physical feats and and concepts and stuff, but sometimes courage all doesn't have to be uh, big and bold. Courage can often come in small packages. I, I think of Rosa Parks in the Civil Rights Movement. Right, Rosa Parks, a, a young black woman who, uh, instead of getting up and, and moving for a white person to have her seat in the segregated South, stood her ground and kept her seat. It sparked a nation uh, that was divided in civil unrest and gave fuel to uh, the the civil rights movement and, and uh, the, the gains we've made in that, even though we still have long to go in racial relationship. But the courage to stand up. Sometimes courage is what you don't see or what you don't say or where you don't go. But why would we be talking about it in a scriptural way? Because I think no matter how admirable all those things are, to me, the most courageous person who has ever lived is Jesus Christ. We, 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 it's where we're headed in our Lenten journey, and we'll rehearse it and remember it during Holy Week, that the, the extreme horrific events that he was willing to go for our sake, but it wasn't just Holy Week where Christ showed courage. 
It was every day of his life. Because he came to a world that was swimming in a way that was going wrong. A a world flowing towards unrighteousness. He came to swim upstream and to go counterculture and offer us a different way, a godly way. And from the beginning, it was wrought with conflict and misunderstanding and misinterpretation and accusation and hatred. But Jesus was willing to stand up for that. Why? Because on a mission from His Father, a mission to reconcile a holy God with a broken world, in order for us to have the freedom He created us to have, in order for us to live the life He wanted us to have, in order for us to become the best version of ourselves, there was going to be a price to be paid. Just like our military, pay a price to protect our freedom. Just like our first responders, pay a price to pay, to, to pay for our safety. Jesus paid the price so that we might have life and have it to the fullest. It was, it, it, it is the most, uh, overwhelming thing you can imagine that the, the links that he was willing to go for us to have a relationship with his. That's where we're going to center in today, and that's what we're going to be talking about. And and as you think of Jesus, I, I just uh, if if your picture of Jesus is a white guy with a beard, number one, you're wrong there. He's from the Middle East, right? So he, he's not a white guy with a beard. Um, he, he didn't have light skin. He probably had dark skin and everything. And and he didn't walk around with his hands folded all the time, saying, "Bless you, bless you, bless you." Yeah, Jesus, Jesus was a countercultural, on the edge of society, revolutionary. It was, but see, here's what's different between uh, human leadership and godly leadership. He didn't do it for his own recognition. He didn't do it for his own political agenda. He didn't do it in order to gain a following, to gain an army. He, get, he did it to glorify his Father. And from the time he began his public ministry, He's baptized. Immediately he's sent into the desert for 40 days, 40 nights, where he is confronted by Satan himself, tempting him. And by courage and connection with the Father, he's able to overcome that. And then he begins his ministry in which a religious establishment who wanted control and power and who had coerced people into bowing to their ideas and gaining popularity and power off of that, were confronted by a man willing to speak truth to power. And they didn't like it. They didn't like it one bit. In fact, a lot of people didn't like it. Even Jesus' family chased him down early on in his ministry and was like, come home, stop it. You're embarrassing us. It takes courage to do what everyone thinks is wrong. It takes courage to stand against power. It takes courage to do what's right when everyone who thinks they're doing right says you're doing wrong. Over and over and over again, Jesus stood up to power, not for his own, not for his own glory, but to stay on mission. The thing he understood he had been sent for. So we're gonna, we're gonna take a look at that. We're gonna be in Matthew 23. 
Matthew 23, uh, as I said, the, the, there was a lot of conflict in Jesus' life. I mean, one time he, uh, there was a, a boy who had demons. Jesus cast those demons out. They went into a, flo- uh, to a flock of pigs. Is it a flock of pigs? I don't know what. A herd of pigs. And uh, <laughs> went into a herd of pigs. And the pigs ran into the ocean and died. And the pig farmers were so mad at him that they wanted to throw him off the cliff and kill him right there, right? Over and over. Just conflict after conflict after conflict. But the number one folks that he had conflict were were the religious leaders. The ones who held the monopoly on knowing God. Right? The ones who were the most wise people, the most godly people. And when they saw Jesus interacting and doing his ministry, it made them mad. And part of it was, is because Jesus called them out over and over and over again. We're going to look at one example, and I'm just going to read part of the chapter, but you'll get a flavor for uh, some of the conflict that was going on. Matthew 23, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture, verses inside, and they wear robes with extra long tassels, and they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogue. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as as Jesus doing his ministry, this comes at the end of Matthew, uh, sort of the setting of Matthew and the flow of Matthew. This would be uh, leading up to Holy Week and the tension that is building up to Holy Week. A tension, like I said, that was present right from the beginning and just continued to grow and continued to grow and continued to grow as Jesus was doing more and more wrong ministry and more and more loving the wrong people and accepting the wrong people and not holding the standards that they were supposed to have. This conflict with the Pharisees, with the religious system, with the people who knew everything just began to explode. And Jesus had many confrontations with him, but this time he's got his disciples and a crowd with him and he wants to make sure they understand. And he says, look at the the Pharisees here. Listen to what they say because, I mean, the Pharisees were the, the best uh, sources of information about the, the, the scriptures at that point, the, the, law, and the, uh, the law and the prophets. 
There was not a Bible at this time. Uh, the Bible didn't exist until after Jesus had died, and they compiled uh, some letters and books together, and that's what we have called the Bible. So uh, there was a whole generation of people that came to God without knowing the Bible. But the Scripture, uh, they they knew the Scripture really well. So he said, listen to them about what they teach. Just don't act like them. Don't follow them. Because they teach something they don't even practice. They're teaching about me, but they don't act anything like me. They're doing it all for their own glory. They, they, it's all show. They, they, they're just doing it so everybody around goes, oh, look what good people those are. They're just doing it so they get more and more followers and more and more power. This, this was the religious structure of the, the Middle East. These were not just, uh, um, you know, a lot of times in our churches, we, in modern day Christianity, we, we've made, um, the Pharisees sort of cartoon characters, uh, which they sort of deserve that. But, uh, at the same time, uh, don't miss the fact that these were the community leaders. These were the well-respected, well-educated, uh, civic leaders of the time. And for Jesus to speak out against them, that's, that's, that's truth taken on power, and power doesn't like hearing truth. And so to their face, over and over again, he calls them out. You want people to worship you. You want people to follow you. You want them to call you father. You want them to, 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 to look at you and be impressed. But you talk about doing things, but really what you do, you're leading people into their own damnation. You're, you're leading people into their own punishment. I'm establishing a new kingdom. You're trying to make your own kingdom. That's what Jesus and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had against each other. And let's think about this for a minute. What were they fighting about? You know, in, in, in our culture, what it is right now is about belief systems and and things like that. We want people to believe the right way, in the same way, and all that kind of stuff. And 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 we we talk about it centering around uh, biblical disagreement and everything. Uh, well, it, there was there was some stuff Jesus said about him being the Son of God and some of that kind of stuff. But most of the time, Jesus was not arguing religion about scripture. What was it that they, it wasn't that he didn't know scripture. It wasn't that he wasn't applying scripture. What was it that bugged him so much? It was the way he loved. Hear that. It was the way he loved. It wasn't what he taught. It wasn't what he believed. It's what, how he acted. See, the, the Pharisees had devised a system in which they felt perfectly self-justified in thinking other than for some people. It was in their ballywick to be able to identify a group of people or groups of people and, and be able to say they are outside of the will of God. Therefore, they don't, we don't have to do anything with them and we don't have to feel bad about it. Jesus went to every one of those margin groups and started a relationship with them. And they couldn't stand it. The, the revolutionary thing Jesus did, get this, it wasn't starting a new religion. It was, it was showing that religion is about love and acceptance to a group 
who thought that they were the chosen people and that meant they're good, that others are bad. I'm in, you're out, I'm right, you're wrong. That's, Jesus shows up and goes, no, no, no. He went to the margins over and over and over again. He sat down with tax collectors. He, 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 he sat down with a woman who had been divorced five times in a time in a culture where she could have been uh, stoned for that and, and uh, thrown into prison for that and could have had everything taken away from her. Over and over, Jesus stood for the marginalized, and that's what they hated. And any time you go against culture, any time you go against culture, culture is going to rebel again. And you know this. I mean, we all know this. We've all experienced it. In the other service, we have a group of kids that are singing with the praise band now, and they were all sitting up front. And I said, you know, I, teenager, I, my heart goes out to you because I think back. I, this week I was thinking about what I'm going to be preaching. And I was thinking about uh, when did I show courage as a teenager? And, and I thought back to my life as a teenager. And unfortunately, I was on the wrong side of the bully train too many times. It wasn't that I knew it wasn't right. I didn't know it wasn't right. It wasn't. It was that when when the group was making fun of somebody, and I could get a laugh, or I could get somebody to laugh with me, or or um, think I'm cool because I made somebody else feel bad, I jumped into it because I wanted people to like me. I didn't have the courage to stand up and go against culture. It's one of the hardest things to do. And that's not just for teenagers because so many of us has never outgrown that middle school behavior. And so we allow culture to tell us what we should think about politics and what we should think about this and what we should think about that and what we should think about this. And we sit around a dinner table and we talk about people. And instead of saying we shouldn't be doing that or that's not fair, we just go along and chuckle. It's hard to go against the flow. Don't don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourselves. It is hard to live a life that goes against the flow. But that's exactly the kind of life that we've been called to because that's how Christ demonstrated we should love. In it, story in John. John uh, Jesus is uh, in the temple. He sees uh, a crowd gathered. It's a bunch of religious leaders. They all got rocks in their hand. There's a poor naked woman laying on the on the courtyard. And they they call Jesus over, and she had been caught in adultery. And they try to pin him on the spot and say, "Oh, so you do you think we the law says we should kill this woman? What do you say?" Bullies. Flow of culture. Courage stands up. Well, actually, courage knelt down first. It says he went in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. I have my own theory. I've heard it from somebody else. I've adapted it. Even if it's not true, it's not harmful. So I'm going with it. I think he wrote one of the names of a Pharisee who had been in an adulterous relationship, who may have been the one that was with the woman lying naked on the courtyard, and then stood up and said, the one without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. 
It says from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their rock and went away. That's why I think he wrote a name. I think he wrote a name of a senior political leader who went, ooh. Courage. Because what was he going to be accused of? Not following the Bible, not not following the Scriptures, not following teacher, not doing what's orthodox, not doing what's right. It takes power to stand up against the flow of culture. And 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 there, I I know that we all think culture is flowing in the wrong direction. Let's let's put put the political world out of it. Let's talk church. It takes it takes. It takes bravery and courage to stand up against the flow of church culture. So we're better than you. I deserve to be forgiven. Well, I'm different than them. To stand up against that takes conviction. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Verses 1 through 3, you've heard this before, but let's listen to it this time. With this as our context, here are these words in a new way this time maybe. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Pause. This is what we do. This is what all human beings do. This has been the problem of human all along. Go back. God uh, saves the Israelite people out of Egypt, has a promised land for them, conquers the, the promised land, sends them into it and says, hey, I've been a blessing so that you can be a blessing to others. I want you to go in and establish my way. Establish. Let them know that Yahweh is good. Let them know that Yahweh is powerful. Let them know that Yahweh is faithful and just. Go in. Don't go, don't go in and adopt their thing. You go in and do a new thing. And every single one of them went in and sooner or later, Instead of them establishing God's way, they went to the culture way. Don't conform to this world. Don't conform to this world. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person, changing the way you think. Then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. Well, that says faith, not courage. Well, our faith gives us courage. We measure our faith by how willing we are to stand up for the will of God. Not, not, not a power structure, not a political ideal, but the will of God, which we have been, I've been hitting this ad nauseum and get used to it because it's going to keep coming. The will of God is for us to love one another the way that He loves us. And it says His will for us is what is good and pleasing and perfect. It's what makes us holy. When we are willing to lay our... It says, be a holy and living sacrifice. 
In other words, that thing that you were, that you did away with when you became the new creation, let now you are the sacrifice. Lay yourself on the altar. We die to our own ideals. We used to kill a sacrifice on the altar. It was offered up to God to be pleasing to Him. We are the living, holy sacrifices. We offer ourselves. We give up our own selfish ideas. We give up our own uh, rights. We give up our own thoughts, our own way of thinking. We adopt, we are transformed by His Spirit, and we offer ourselves freely to Him so that the world around us can see Him. That's not going to be easy. That's difficult. It takes courage. Now, I, I talk to the teenagers about, um, I, I, I feel for them because they're in a hard time in life. That Those teen years, that, those puberty years, it, it's just so, it's such a battle and you just so much want to be loved. But like I said, we all have that problem. But here's the other neat thing about kids. When young people get captured by the gospel, they're willing to do crazy things in the name of the gospel. If you want to know why we need to do everything we can to make sure we lift up young leadership over and over again, it's because Paul talked to Timothy about, don't let them look down on you when you're, when you're, because you're young. It's because young people will do crazy things for God. The disciples were young men that walked away from their job. How many of you 50-year-olds are going to walk away from your pension and your job for the gospel? But young people will do it. We got an example in this church. Um, Kendra and Spencer Thomas. Several years ago, they got married in January, heard that there's a need in Costa Rica. Spencer said, I think we're being called to Costa Rica. Kendra said, what? That's not the honeymoon I was thinking about. In September, they packed everything they had into three boxes that got lost on the flight and lived in Costa Rica for six years to do ministry. Because that's a courageous thing to do. To walk away into something you don't know. To just put yourself in God's hands. But that's what Christian courage looks like. All over the Methodist denomination, all over the world right now, in these months, uh, uh, February, March, April, um, hopefully they don't do it in May, but February, March, April, uh, there are Methodist preachers that uh, get phone calls that say, hey, um, we got a new place for you. We need you to pack up everything you have. We need you to tell your kids that they're going to have to go to a different school. They're not going to be able to be on the sport team they've always been on. Your your spouse isn't going to be able to keep his job. You're going to have to go to a new place. You're going to, you may have to get rid of your pets if it doesn't. They don't have a place for them in the parsonage. And you're going to go to a new place where they're going to tell you how horrible you are because you're not doing things the way they were doing them before you got there. That's courage. And by the way, I didn't get one of those phone calls. So, <laughs> that, that's courage. It's easy to look at this topic and say, well, Jesus, I, I get Jesus, but he was the son of God. And something I admire, I'll, I'll admire it, but certainly it's not supposed to apply to me. But remember, we, we're trying to 
to live the Jesus-shaped life. And so those traits and characteristics of Jesus that are admirable and are right and good, then we need them in our life. And we need the kind of conviction and courageousness that he had, the commitment to truth, the commitment to love above all else. Jesus, perfectly holy and just, and perfectly grace-filled and merciful hold those things in tension. Let's leave the justice to God and we'll focus on the grace and mercy. That's correct. Where does that look in your life? I don't know. Maybe it means you need to think of the friend group you have. Maybe it means you need to disinvite yourself from a dinner party that tends to be mean-spirited and, and gossip. Maybe it means you need to to speak up to power in your job or in your family or somewhere else. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Sometimes the most profound acts of courage take place in the quiet. Jesus didn't rebel. Jesus didn't defend. Jesus didn't call on down angels. Courage has as much to do with what he didn't do as what he did do. Why don't you bow with me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gift we're never going to be able to say thank you enough for. The fact that you were willing to go to such extreme length to show just undeniable courage so that we might have freedom and And you told the Pharisees, if you want to be exalted, you have to humble yourself. And if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. And, and Lord, we, 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 are, we want to humble ourselves in your presence so that you might be exalted. He said, if you want to be my follower, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Do the hard thing. And we're learning, God, but we, we're... We're open to you. Help us not be conformed, but to be transformed. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.